This is Radio Free 501C, the podcast of Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm your host, Cecilia Sepp. Don't forget to subscribe on all your favorite podcast services. This week, I'm welcoming back my good friend, Joy Dooling, who's an expert on membership. And we're going to be discussing 21st century membership and how a lot of it hinges on your decision-making process and how quickly you can decide and act on things. Welcome to episode 187. It's Monday, March 13th, and that means it's time for another episode of Radio Free 501C, brought to you by Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm your host, Cecilia Sepp. I'm the principal and founder of the company, and thank you so much for joining us wherever you may be. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. We so appreciate everyone who tunes in every week. As I have mentioned last week in our last exciting episode, March is Women's History Month, and To celebrate that, I have invited my colleagues who are also women podcasters in the nonprofit space to come and join me and talk about the different topics that they are really knowledgeable about. This week, I'm really excited to have my friend Joy Dooling back. She hasn't been on for a while. Joy is with the Joy of Membership, and she's also the creator of a software called Journey Care that helps you really take really great care of your members. And today we're going to be talking about 21st century membership. But before we dive into the topic, Joy, welcome back. Uh, Would you like to say hello to the audience and tell them a little bit more about yourself? Oh, I'm so glad to be here. And your energy is just infectious. It always makes me smile. (laughs) The moment you kick things off, it makes me smile. Um, well, as as you mentioned, um, I have been um, working with associations, trade groups, membership-based nonprofits um, through the Joy of Membership for 18 years, a long time. <laughs> and <laughs> my work really centers around member experience and helping organizations um, take exceptional care of their members. So I spend every day um, doing that, having those conversations, and I'm glad to be here today with you. Oh, great. And Joy, thank you so much. That was such a nice compliment uh, about the energy. And I always feel the same way when I talk with you. Uh, you Such a a wonderful energy and light about you and and really makes people feel joyful. So you you really are the joy of membership. (laughs) So I'm so glad we can be here today and talk about it. So 21st century membership, it's really very different. uh, But as you and I were talking about as we were prepping for the episode, it seems you know, some organizations might be backsliding a little bit. Uh, One of the things I talk about a lot is the fact that our model is still too focused on the 19th century, early 20th century model of how we did things. And we can't seem to shake that. You had mentioned you've been having some conversations with people about taking action on new ideas. So could you uh, share that with our audience? Sure. Um, well, when we were kind of talking through, like, what would we talk about around 21st century membership? I have had this theme coming up in my conversations over the last um, two, three months. It keeps coming up repeatedly about um, boards not being able to act quickly on great ideas. And one of the things that I found really encouraging when we went through this pandemic period was that um, it really gave organizations a reason to act quickly. I mean, the ones that did the best 
um, through, you know, all the stuff that had to happen with COVID were those that were really nimble. And they could say, you know, this is what our members need from us now. And they could pivot very quickly and put new things into place. And they embraced the fact that, you know, technology could help them do things. And they just took fast action. Those were the organizations that I felt were most successful. They experienced the most growth. They experienced the most um, like member loyalty, um, just to have this kind of new gelling happen. And, you know, since that time, it feels like organizations are starting to take their foot off the gas. That it's like, everybody's like, okay, we made it through. And now it's slowing down. <laughs> like the decisions don't seem like they're being made as quickly for a lot of organizations. And I don't know what people out there are experiencing in their organization, but that's been my observation. Um, have you seen the same thing? I have been seeing the same thing, unfortunately. Uh, I have been around for a while myself. Uh, I joined this profession in 1988. So I've I've seen a lot of trends. I've seen a lot of entrenched ideas uh, and really entrenched misconceptions. I started calling them um, urban myths of the nonprofit profession. Uh, we, one of the things I've seen is first of all, people have accepted this attitude that nonprofits move slowly and it just takes forever to get aboard to do something. If we keep telling ourselves that this was gonna happen, it, we're, we're, we're continuing to teach people to behave in that manner. And I recently wrote a blog post about board members. And my last line in that blog post was culture is created by the behavior that is tolerated. And so within our nonprofit community, we have created a culture of slow reactions or inaction of negativity one of the things that really makes me bite my tongue is this negative attitude people have about so many different aspects of what we do. And unfortunately, usually relates to the people because we are the relationship industry. Negativity about boards, negativity about chapters, negativity about how people do things or what they know, uh, just a a lack of, of understanding in a lot of levels. And I know some people might be sending me angry postcards, you know, feel free if, if you think I'm wrong, but unfortunately I don't think I am. And I think that contributes to what you're seeing, Joy, what you were just outlining about this, taking the foot off the pedal. You know, have you actually been hearing people say, oh, now we can go back to the way things used to be? Not in those words. It's just what I've seen in actions. And I guess I hadn't thought about it from a perspective of um, it being negativity. I have seen it more from the perspective of almost being a fearful of, you know, doing things that are innovative, of implementing new ideas, um, you know, being a afraid to fail and not open to the possibility of trying something that, you know, maybe will work, maybe won't. Um, so I've been, I guess I've been looking at it through that lens. Like, are these organizations open to new ideas? Are they afraid of the new ideas? Like, what is it that's kind of getting in the way of them being able to move forward? Could it be some negativity? Absolutely. I just hadn't looked at it through that lens. I tend to take a more positive attitude. It's one of the reasons I chose nonprofit management as my career, and I've stuck with it uh, throughout my career arc, because I take that positive attitude 
I was raised by parents who were very active volunteers who were always contributing. They were leaders in our community. They were leaders in our church. Uh, my mom was even a substitute teacher at the Catholic school I went to and, and no, she was not a real teacher and that she went to school and got a certificate. But if a teacher called in sick at the last minute, she would come in and help out and, you know, lead the class. So she was also the president of Ladies Auxiliary for a while and very active in that at our church. My dad was like the perpetual president of the men's club at our church. Uh, they, because of watching their model, their example, I ended up being the first teenage representative on our church council from the CYC, because which is Catholic Youth Council, if you're not Catholic. So I was raised by people who just participated and volunteered and helped. And so that was a very positive influence on me. And I think that's really a lot of why I ended up choosing this profession, because I saw it in action uh, where I grew up. And I think that it gave me a very positive view of the world that people can do things if they work together, that they can make things happen if they come up with a plan and they're committed to it. And sometimes it takes a while to make it happen, but uh, you can make things change. You, you can contribute, you can make the place where you are better. And I finally realized that, you know, we all grow up saying, I'm going to change the world or I'm going to save the world. And it's like, you know, and I finally came to realize, you know, what my mom and dad were teaching me is you can't save the whole world, but you can do something about the place where your two feet are. Mm -hmm. You can help that place where you are right now. And that's really clicked in since the lockdown. And I think maybe because like a lot of us, I had a lot more time to think during that period because things were a little quieter, but I, it's really, I bring that positive attitude and I really pick up so much. Like, I, I think a good example is chapter relations or component relations, depending on your group. I, I hear so many people say, we can't make them do what we want them to do. They won't do what we tell them. Well, gee, if you come at it from that attitude, why would they? Uh, I never was successful at chapter relations by telling people what to do. I was successful at chapter relations by building good relationships uh, with the component leaders and showing them ways to get things done, showing them how to participate and help each other. And so those become very vibrant networks. And I think that uh, that can apply to all. And and I'm going to ask you to chime in on this, uh, Joy. I, because you're the guest, I'm not supposed to do all the talking, although we all know that's, that's always a real possibility when I'm around. But, but do you think that that positive attitude that, that can do, let's bring people together attitude can't be applied at all these different decision-making levels, which is a little bit different, like at the board level, which is where these decisions tend to move or not move. So what, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I definitely think positive thinking can influence an organization at every level. Um, you know, I, you know, as I look at the lessons that came out of the pandemic and kind of, you know, the way organizations had to operate then versus now, I think when we were all going through that experience, nobody really knew what to do. So it <laughs> naturally forced us to be open to new ideas. Oh, you know, we need to do this online. Oh, we need to try this new tech. Well, of course we need to try something different because we're in a very different experience. I think now that the world is settling settling down a little bit, it's just taking away that, um, you know, the, the push to move quickly. And 
I, I tend to work with smaller membership organizations, smaller nonprofits, and I continually am surprised at how much bureaucracy and process these small organizations can put into place. And, you know, um, that positivity that you're talking about tends not to exist when you have layers of decision-making and bureaucracy that you have to get through in order to, to make a movement forward. And, and do you think that's a reflection of a failure on the part of the nonprofit profession to to continue supporting, uh, I guess, and maybe supporting, I mean, supporting makes it sound like we think it's okay, but, but do you think that in some way we have failed to communicate clearly that you don't need so much, so many layers for a decision? I think it's a fiduciary responsibility. I think it's a sense that this isn't our money to spend. These mm -hmm. aren't our resources to use. And there's this, this caution around, you know, wanting to, wanting to do the right thing. And I think when you compare that to what it's like to work with um, entrepreneurs and business owners you know, entrepreneurs are spending their own money, maybe investor money, but they're much more willing to act quickly on ideas and to spend money while failing. Mm -hmm. And nonprofit organizations, I feel, are generally less likely to do that because they don't want to, you know, um, make a costly mistake. And that translates into, you know, committees discussing things again and again and again to make sure that this is absolutely the right thing to do. And it, you know, suffocates the ability to be innovative because by the time you've made a decision, a lot of times the spark of creativity, the spark of energy has yeah. fizzled out. Yeah. That, oh gosh, that's such a good point. Uh, if you take too long to do something, you also lose the window of opportunity to do something. And I think uh, I do love it when boards are very responsible. So I am not saying boards should be irresponsible at all. I do strongly believe that all boards should be highly aware of the duty of care, duty of loyalty, and the duty of obedience. However, when you're fulfilling those duties, you're the steward and so you're being entrusted to use the resources responsibly. So if, hey, board members out there, we're telling you it's okay to use the tools you're given <laughs> and money is a tool. So I think that's something. But, you know, Joy, what you just said, that spark, it's gone and you can't get it back. So I have a great example of this, and um, this is me being a little bit um, transparent about, you know, my own consulting practice. Um, mm -hmm. I launched a 12-week challenge for associations um, last, early last summer. I'm now still on the podcast, had, a, you know, quite a few organizations sign up. It was called um, the Fast Path, Fastest Path to Growth. And in that 12-week challenge, which was intentionally 12 weeks because it had three steps, there were three things. And my assumption was these organizations would have a committee <laughs> that would do this work and we would just time it around, you know, a committee meeting for three months. So it was very intentional how this could be broken down into their committee meetings. So 12 weeks, I still have organizations today who are working on doing those three steps that technically could have been done in like a week, 
but I spread it out over them having three committee meetings and we're nine months later. And so I think if that is the way these organizations, um, if, if they approach things at this snail's pace, I mean, that energy that was around, you know, this exciting growth possibility, I mean, I can't even imagine that energy still existing nine months later, um, you know, <laughs> so it's just, it's just, it's the example that comes to mind where, you know, this, this could have been this really cool growth opportunity. And yet they're moving so slowly that by the time the whole thing gets implemented, they've probably lost enough members to churn that I don't even know if they'll see the boost they should have seen from implementing that idea quickly. Wow. That, that, first of all, there's a great program uh, that challenge is that information for that challenge still available on your website? Um, I took it off the website, so I just you know to to retool it or something, um, you know, just to figure out if there's any way that I can help these organizations get through it more quickly because you know they're, it's they're getting too bogged down in it. Well, and you know, you mentioned a word earlier, nimble, and nimble and agile were two words that I connect with the '90s. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because back in the 90s, and yeah, I'm that old, folks. Yeah, back in the back in the 90s when we were young. No, um, but seriously, in, in business in the 90s, we had just come out of the go-go 80s, right? And, uh, I, you know, I was young and had fun. I didn't do any business in the 80s. But, you know, then we get into the 90s. So we go from the go-go 80s where he's like, go, 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 make money, do fast things. But then we got to the 90s and the business attitude was we need to be a little more mature now, but we still need to be nimble and agile. So we need to be able to make decisions quickly. We need to switch gears when needed. And that's where nimble and agile came from. And so that's why I was always like, oh, it's so 90s, you know, nimble and agile. But since the lockdown of 2020, I'm like, those words are important. Those need to be 21st century words because there's really no reason for us to be bogged down in decision-making anymore, as long as we have a well-thought-out process. And a well-thought-out process doesn't mean that everybody and their brother gets to chime in necessarily and, and continue a conversation for 12 months that should be done in two weeks. And I think uh, uh, this does come back, I think, to volunteer leadership training and education and development, and then really training boards about what their role is. So have you seen anyone talking about that as you've been talking with them about decision-making? Are they talking at all about board development and training? No, but I think it's really important. I think it is um, critical if you want to be an organization that can move forward quickly, you have to be thinking about who do we have on our board? Who can move in this way? Who do we have on our board who is open to new ideas? And you know, if you have if you have one of those boards that um, moves very slowly <laughs> and likes to do things the way that they've always done things, it can make a lot of sense to bring in a facilitator who isn't necessarily focused on you know this one thing that your board needs to do to change, but more focused on change in general. Like, how do we become a more innovative, more creatively you know focused organization. And I think that can make a big difference. Well, and that, and, you know, I'm so glad you said that because that's really a culture thing. So, 
everybody loves that Under Armour quote about, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast uh, or lunch, I guess, depending on where you are. But but it's really so important. You, you have to teach people, first of all, that it's okay to make a decision. It's okay to make a choice. Uh, I think we've, we see this not just in the nonprofit world, but I think we see this in other parts of our lives, people that just won't make a choice. You, you know, sort of like the, the everyday example I like to use is you're, you're talking to a friend, you're like, hey, you want to get something to eat? Yeah, sure. What do you feel like? Oh, I don't know. I don't care. And then you maybe throw out some options. They don't want to decide because they don't want to be the one to pick. And I think that's really what it comes down to, you know, and part of being the leader is you have to be the one who makes the decision. So whether you are the chair of the board or you're a board member or you're a committee chair or a committee member, you're part of that decision process. You have to make a decision. Uh, there is no perfect data. There is no perfect situation. There is no perfect choice. You can only make the best choice. So it's, it's very similar to the CAE exam. You know, there's, there's not necessarily a right answer, but there's a best response. And that's all we get in life is that you make the best choice you can make based on what you know at the time. And that's why we have that old saying about hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, speaking of old sayings, um, I'm reminded of that saying about um, Edison uh, inventing the light bulb and that he... Um, let's see, he uh, um, just discovered like 700 ways not to create the light right. bulb. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah, go yeah. through, remember, I can't remember exactly how it goes. Yeah, it's it, like, like flew out of my head, but. He said, yeah. I didn't fail 99 times. I know 99 ways not to make a light bulb. Yes. And, and that so. That was kind of his attitude, yeah. And I feel like, you know, organizations have to find like the, the iterative way to their success path. They have to be willing to try 99 things that, you know, didn't necessarily work, but got them closer to what they ultimately wanted. And if you sit there not wanting to go through the 99 things, you'll never invent the light bulb. And we need light bulbs. <laughs> well, and you know, that's interesting you mentioned that example because uh, Brian Haney of the Haney Company was on the podcast uh, in January of this year. And we were talking about that, making decisions, building on things, everything doesn't work right the first time, things evolve. He told me the story of how WD-40 got its name, the oil, because they had 39 versions that didn't work. Oh, that's funny. And that's why they called it WD-40, because that was the one that worked. So I think we're so afraid of failure. And one of the things I say a lot is that Everybody talks about failure, but nobody wants to talk about failure. And people like to use the quotes from Silicon Valley, fail fast, fail forward. But nobody wants to be the one to, to take responsibility. Uh, the, speaking of old saints, since we're on an old saints <laughs> kick here and roll, uh, there was that old saying about success has many parents, but failure is always an orphan. So nobody takes responsibility for the failure. And, but then we all know as humans, and we point this out to each other, we learn more from the mistakes and the failures we make than all the successes Be because you can't learn from a success because it worked. Okay. You know what I'm realizing is that we're talking about 21st century membership, but just by virtue of all of these um, sayings and adages, this is not a new problem. <laughs> <laughs> This is not a new problem. <laughs> it's not. And so why are we not solving it? 
I, I think, you know, we, we can go to the moon, but we can't uh, make decisions quickly at the board level. And I think a lot of that is really changing our mindsets and, and actually being more positive, uh, getting out of the trenches. I mean, it, it, it really makes me sad. A lot of times, like I, I just use the term getting out of the trenches. It always makes me sad when I think about World War One, and and the reason it makes me sad is because they were just reliving Einstein's quote about insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Because when you think about trench warfare, they dug into these trenches, and they kept coming out of the trench and and just shooting each other and then going back in the trench, and then coming out of the trench and repeat, 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 and nobody ever got anywhere. It, it, it just nothing changed. Nothing was different because nobody could go forward. And that is an analogy for decision making and, and delivering these things to the members in the 21st century. We, we do have to be adaptable. Uh, we do have to be able to change and, and be quick. And one of the things we saw, and I'd love to get your opinion on this too, since you work with a lot of smaller groups, and, and you did say that you do find they, some of them still have a lot of layers of decision-making and, and maybe almost a bureaucracy. But on the other hand, I did a study in September of 2020 uh, and learned from the research I did that the smaller associations actually did better than the larger ones. Even though they had fewer resources, they were able to adapt much more quickly and get decisions made faster. So I'm wondering if you if you saw that as well. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I do think that smaller organizations can move more quickly um, when they are inclined to do so, <laughs> but they can also <laughs> set up a lot, much more bureaucracy than what um, is warranted for their size organizations. And, you know, in the work that I've been doing with Journey Care um, as a technology software, one of the things that it does is automate processes. And so that's why I really get into the, um, the nuance of processes. And, you know, when you're small, you can um, have lots of exceptions and things like that. Well, you know, Mary handles that. Mary knows when this comes in, it goes here this way. And when it comes in this way, it goes that other way. And, you know, so small organizations do lots of things like that, that, um, you know, require human beings to, um, you know, implement it, I mean, human beings to make that decision. So they're almost harder to automate because they haven't set up those, um, you know, themes and like the the set processes their um, bureaucracy is more around human beings like being in control of everything um so I think that's a bit of a difference yeah oh that is that you know and that's uh makes me think of knowledge management which is something I've really been thinking a lot about since last summer uh because so many people left like we had the great resignation and people leave and they take all that IP with them and, and people have processes in place to capture that. Yeah. And that really helps move the decision-making process forward uh, when you have all that information, like knowing Mary is the one who does this task when a new member comes in or once somebody renews. And yeah, so I think like to tie it all back to, you know, um, um, innovation and being able to move quickly, I think organizations have to consider 
why they're not moving forward toward change. Why are they sitting feeling stuck? Is that that they don't know what to do because they haven't had enough, enough exposure to new ideas that they could innovate? Is it because, you know, they've tried lots of things and nothing's working? So they're starting to get burnt out on it and, you know, afraid that the same failures are going to continue happening? Is it because, it's a staff issue. They have a a, um, a leadership issue where, you know, a board isn't interested in change or they have people who are leaving and taking their IP, you know, that um, the institutional knowledge with them, like you just mentioned. So all sorts of like reasons can be woven into that um, inability to move forward with new ideas. It's a matter of figuring out like which of those situations applies to us and how do we break through that? Wow. And that takes uh, organizational self-awareness and organizational introspection, uh, which can be really difficult. And so kudos to any group out there who's going through that process or does that on a regular basis. Uh, It's one of the things we talk about actually in the ethics course that we do at the 501c League. Uh, We talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but then we found a scholarly paper that took Maslow's hierarchy of needs and turned it into the hierarchy of ethical organizations. And Mm. going through those five steps and getting to integrity is equal to self-actualization. And that takes a lot of work and effort and an an internal review. Uh, And and the two authors, uh, it's two, two scholars, Strickland and Vaughn, and they wrote this paper, uh, I think it was in like the early 2000s. And we found it really helpful and informative. And so we always like to tell people about it and and say, go try and find it if you're interested in learning more. But you really have to go really do that work Uh, very much like if you're trying to become self-actualized as an individual, you don't go from level one food and safety to level five (laughs) overnight. I mean, you don't, you have to do all the work in between as well. It's a lifelong process, just like it would be for an organization. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I love that analogy. Yeah, it's really, and it's so interesting how many people, first of all, know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And then I happen to see online how many groups actually have made other hierarchies inspired by Maslow. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that could be a process, you know, for our, our listeners out there on this episode, you know, go back and review Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and maybe you can adapt it for your own organization and, and do that on a regular basis. So, you know, Joy, it's always wonderful to have you here. Uh, before we wrap up our episode, though, uh, could you please uh, just quickly tell people a little bit more about your journey care software, because I I've had the opportunity to look at it and use it a little bit a few years ago. And, and I think people might be interested. So I started working on journey care a couple of years ago when um, I had been, like I said, this is my 18th year of working with associations and trade groups. And one of the things that I found is that most membership software is very transactional oriented. It does a great job of tracking when people are renewal um, or due for renewal. Um, it can send people a receipt. It can send them reminders. It can send them a welcome email. But there is a lot of member care and member experience that happens in between the transactions. And I felt like that was what most membership software misses. 
So with Journey Care, while it can do a lot of the things that normal membership software can do, it could be your website, it can, you know, do payment forms, it can help you send email blasts, you can do all of those things. It also has this just magical automation builder um, built into it so that you can really start looking at, you know, how do we onboard people? Like, what is that experience after they join? You know, can we send a sequence of emails? Can we automatically have an ambassador reach out? Can we send a text or a voicemail? You know, how do we want to warm people up for the renewal so that when renewal time rolls around, they're not just like getting hit by an invoice? You know, um, how do we want to relate to these people who attended our conference who aren't members? How can we nurture them into becoming a member? Like all of those things that, you know, you just dream of being able to do as a membership leader. That's the part of journey care that um, I, I, I really focused on and I feel is is magical. It is is a tool that every membership leader should have in their hands. It all came out of just feeling like, you know, membership is not a series of transactions. It's a relationship. And we need to have tools that help us build those relationships. Oh my gosh. That I love that. And that is a great way to round out our 21st century membership conversation because journey care really is responsive to the 21st century membership experience. That's the goal. That's wonderful. Well, Joy, you've, you've been a guest before, so you know, I always like to ask my guests, what's the one thought you would like the audience to take away today? And if they wanted to reach out and get more information from you or learn more about your challenge uh, and, uh, or journey care, what's the best way to get in touch? <laughs> Well, you know, as a podcaster, since you're focusing on interviewing female podcasters, I really value the ability to put ideas and conversations out into the world that spark conversations, that spark ideas. And my hope from this conversation today is that it did spark something in you, but that not only did it spark something, but that you'll actually be able to do something about it. So (laughs) that's the thought that I would like to leave you with. And if this did spark some ideas, I hope you'll look at what your organization is able to do about it. And if you feel like your organization can't do something about it, then why might that be? And how might you start working through those hurdles as an organization? Um, In terms of like where people can find me, my website is the joy of membership, um, joyofmembership.com. I mostly hang out on LinkedIn. So if we're not connected on LinkedIn, come find me there. I publish a podcast. So since you're listening here, you probably like podcasts. You can go search for Joy of Membership podcast in your whatever podcast platform you prefer. And um, I would just love to connect and learn about your organization and um, support you on your journey. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Joy. This has been a wide ranging, uh, fun, and I think educational conversation today. It has been. I can't believe what we've covered. I know it's, it's amazing, but this is what I love about the nonprofit management profession is we do so many things that are actually really important to just life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> dealing with each other, making decisions or things we all have to do. So thank you again. Uh, so everyone it's, we need to, uh, 
wrap up for this week. I again want to thank my friend Joy Dooling of the Joy of Membership, who also named her podcast the Joy of Membership, for joining me for Women Podcasters in the Association Community Month. And I know Joy will be back because she always has really insightful things to share on membership. So uh, if you would like to learn more about Rogue Tulips Consulting and how we can help your organization bloom outside the box, you can check us out at our website, roguetulips.com. If you are a current CAE, a CAE candidate, or you're just a curious sort like myself, and you're interested in getting some online learning, check out our education program. It has its own website. It's called the 501C League, and its website is the 501Cleague.net. So on behalf of myself and Joy, thanks for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe because you don't want to miss any future exciting episodes. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next time.